0: Our scripture lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, I remember, uh, you know, when I was a kid, you'd be at the store or at the mall or something like that, and, and suddenly would come over the PA an announcement. Little Johnny is lost and he's here at security, please come get him. Then, I don't know when it was, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, somewhere around then, the text of the announcement changed slightly. And they started to say, little Johnny has lost his parents, his parents are lost, please come to security. And at first when I heard this, I said, oh, isn't that nice, they're trying to make little Johnny, little Jimmy, whoever, they're trying to make the kid feel better, the parents are lost. But then I thought about it and said, they're right. They have the kid, they don't have the parents. It is, in fact, the parents who are missing. That's the question here. Who's lost? Who's found? And we have this passage where it begins with Jesus addressing these people who are together in one room, the tax collectors and the sinners, the Pharisees and the scribes. And the thing about it is each one of these groups probably thinks The other one is lost. See, it says the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to him. It specifically says they are there to listen to Jesus. They're not lost. They're following Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of their time, they're the ones who know the law. They believe they are chosen of God. They're not lost. So each of these groups thinks we're the found ones. They're the lost ones. So Jesus tells three stories. We have two of them today. So actually in, in chapter 15 of Luke, it actually is a three-story progression. He tells the two stories we have today, and then he also tells the story you've probably heard of, the story of the prodigal son, and that's the third story, okay? Okay. Uh, That we dealt with back in March is is where it came up in the sequence. But today we've got these two stories that Jesus tells, the first one of which is the story of the sheep. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost, which seems kind of risky. See, the, the question is, if you leave them in the wilderness, as it says, where they are open, they're not in a pen, they're not in a barn or whatever they're not enclosed they're in the wilderness and so it seems kind of risky if you leave the 99 to go get the one when you come back are you gonna have 98 97 96 who knows what you're coming back to so it seems better safe than sorry cut your losses stay with the 99 and leave the one go as a rational bet it doesn't make sense But this is a matter of perspective. And one of the perspectives that's important here is the perspective that we should have, which is to think about the situation as if we were the lost sheep. Imagine the plight of the sheep. What's the sheep feel like? He's out there, he's alone. There could be predators that he can sense. Maybe it's getting dark. And somehow you'd like to think that if somehow sheep could imagine and make an argument, you'd hope that the 99 would say, I feel so bad for that one. You should go get him. We'll be okay. Go get him. All right? Leave us and we'll be all right. We've got each other. Go get the one. All right? Isn't that kind of what triggers us when we see like lost pet signs? You know, you see the sign that says there's a lost cat, there's a lost dog and they're looking for them. You think not only about the owner who's missing their pet, you think about the pet. You've got this dog or this cat, it's out there, it it, it wants to be home, it wants to, to be where it's safe, and instead it's out there and it's alone and it's cold and it's hungry. And you think sympathetically about the pet. And so it's appropriate that when he finds the sheep and he says, rejoice with me, you ought to rejoice. You ought to rejoice with the owner and you ought to rejoice for the sheep. Not thinking what a silly risk it was to take, but rather to be happy that the sheep is safe and sound. Now, if this wasn't enough, Jesus decides to tell yet another story, and, I, you know, and and when you hear these in succession, my first thought when I read them is, why did you need the extra story? You kind of made your point. Didn't you make your point, Jesus? I think you made your point with the sheep thing. Why do you need the coin thing? And, and when you see this, which doesn't happen very often, the succession of very similar stories, it leads me to, to sit there and say, okay, what are the differences? Why bother? Why bother? All right? The scriptures are usually very economical in their word, in their uses of words, in their storytelling. If you tell me these stories in succession, why is it that you had to make the same point multiple times? And you're like, isn't that what preachers do? But But there are a couple differences. For one thing, the coin, unlike the sheep, can't lose itself. Right, the sheep may have wandered off. The coin, it's not the coin's fault. If the coin is lost, right, you put it somewhere. It's like you ever lose your car keys and you search all over and then you find them in some really improbable place. You know, They're like under your bed. You don't start yelling at your keys. What are you doing under there? Why did you go under there? That'd be stupid. You put them there. You lost them. You can't blame the coin. And plus, the other thing here is the coin's not really in danger the way the sheep is. right? It's there in the house somewhere. And yet, somehow, the owner is anxious for the return of this coin, not just for its monetary value, because the owner has other coins. But the owner is happy to find it and says, Rejoice with me. Which, by the way, seems a little silly. Because most of us would not call a friend to say this. I lost my glasses, I found my glasses, I'm really happy, let me call my friends. But there's a subtlety here that I think is important to us. And it's a subtlety of the importance of finding that which is lost and restoring it to The set, to complete the set of coins, to have 10 coins. What's the difference between 10 coins and 9 coins? It's not just monetary, it's a matter of completeness. You know, there's a thing that happens with us all the time. I've I've mentioned this before because it always strikes me as funny. we, We do this. You get invited to somebody's house for dinner. And what's the first thing you say? What can I bring? All right. What does the host always say? Just yourself. Nothing. What do you do? You bring something. (laughs) Okay? Now, why? Why? For example, when you've hosted a dinner, when you've hosted people over, and, and, and each person you've invited says, what can I bring? And you say, oh, nothing, just yourself. And they all bring something. Were you actually in need of what they brought Did you ever plan a dinner and say, if no one brings wine, there's no wine. If no one brings appetizers, there's no appetizer. Never. You've got everything you need. And in fact, the one thing that would be missing if they didn't come is them. That's the one inadequacy. It would be the empty seat at the table. That's what the difference would actually be. And yet somehow in this traditional dance we have of what can I bring? Oh no, bring yourself and then we bring something anyway. Are we actually implicitly denying the truth of our value to the gathering? Are we implicitly denying that it is actually true that what's important is our presence? And if we aren't there, the gathering is incomplete. Are we not appreciating a fundamental understanding that a community is incomplete without any of us? The tax collectors and the sinners. They're completed by having the Pharisees and the scribes in the room with them. The Pharisees and the scribes are completed by having the tax collectors and sinners there. The group of people, the community around Jesus is incomplete without any of them. And yet, they don't see it. They don't see it enough. They don't see it to the point where Jesus kind of needs three stories to drive the point home. The religious leaders, they're grumbling, right? This is what instigated Jesus telling the stories. They're not only not seeing the value of the other, they are grumbling that the others are there. They're wanting the lost to stay lost. They're not happy that they've come. And that, I think, ends up being the actual fundamental distinction that's present in these stories, that it's not actually about the lost Versus the found, the crux of these stories rests in the distinction between the grumblers and the rejoicers. Which are you? Grumbler or rejoicer? Do you resent the blessings of others? Or are you happy for them? You know, it's kind of funny is, uh, you know, the lectionary, as I mentioned so often, it's a three-year cycle of texts, and every time the texts come up, I go back and and ask myself, I look, I go back, because I have every sermon I've ever preached, I have my notes on every once, I go, what did I preach three years ago, what did I talk about six, nine, 12, 15, coming up on 18 years ago here, and sometimes I sit there and go, it's been nine years, you can use that joke again. But uh, three years ago, when when this text came up, one of the issues that was out there, because it was 2019, and so you have people starting to get ready for the 2020 presidential campaign, so one of the issues was, surprisingly, and it made it into the sermon, student loan forgiveness. (laughs) Grumblers, rejoicers, (laughs) they seem to be out there. Which are you? And when people talk about what's fair or not, the reminder that I like to give, I do mention this pretty often in sermons across different texts because I think it's so important. The the fundamental question that we end up facing is, do you want life to be fair or do you want life to be gracious? Which do you want? Do you want life to be fair or do you want life to be better than fair? See, that's... Really critical. Because one of the things I know in my life is if life were perfectly fair, I'm in trouble. I do not want every mean thing I've ever done to be done to me. I do not want every unkind thing I've ever done to be done to me. All right? If it were, my life wouldn't be good. What makes my life good is the graciousness of the people around me who've treated me better than I deserve. Which is what we need to do for others, which is what God did for us. God chose not to punish our sin, but to forgive it. To treat us better than we deserve. And whether we go through life as people of just fairness of which is tit-for-tat, eye for an eye, or people of grace, matters so much to the people around us. Right? And it shows to the world what we believe about how life should be. Should life just be fair, or should it be better? Should it be filled with grace or should it just be filled with transactional this for that? And that will change how people perceive God and whether they come to God. And what Jesus says is, look, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what brings people to God is when they're shown a God of love and grace who will not punish but will choose to forgive instead. And they see that through how we treat them if we claim to be followers of Christ. There's an author I read a lot of, his name's Donald Miller, and um, his first book was called Blue Like Jazz. It was a spiritual autobiography, and he talked about what it means to like come to faith. And he talked about how it was not just this objective decision that he makes, but rather it's it's more complex than that. He said, he said, I can't do it. He said, it would be like, say, trying to fall in love with somebody or trying to convince yourself that your favorite food is pancakes. He said, I can't just decide I'm gonna believe in God. He said, he said, how we come to faith is experiential. All right? We don't rationally sit there and go, well, let's do a pro and con list of religions and decide what I'm going to believe in. But rather, it's an experience. Right? He says this, he goes, you don't decide those things, they just happen to you. If God is real, God needs to happen to me. Right? It happens. It exp- right? I, I mean, Right? If you love pancakes, the first time you had pancakes, you're like, wow, this is amazing. All right? Bacon. <laughs> you have it and you go, wow, this is amazing. All right? It's had to come directly from heaven. Right. How many of you have ever had something, right, you tried something for the first time late in life and you just thought to yourself... How did I never try this before? How did I go so many years and not taste this before? Where have you been all my life? All right. And that's kind of what it must feel like to be found when you didn't know you were lost. By the way, totally random aside, somebody on Facebook mentioned something yesterday, and I can't tell if I'm disgusted or I'm going to try it. She she mentioned um, that there are people now, she goes, people put butter on Pop-Tarts. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. (laughs) Totally random aside, but I'm like, I can't tell if I'm totally disgusted by the thought or if I'm going to go get a box of Pop-Tarts and try it. (laughs) The person's answer was both. You know. I don't know. It might be amazing. I might get up here next week and say, it's the closest to God you'll ever feel. <laughs> because something just happened. And the thing about it is a lot of the times in life when God happens to you, God happens to you through other people. God happens to you when the perfect person shows up in your life at the perfect time. And you say, this could only have been God. God happens to you when someone shows up and is kind to you in a way you could not have predicted, in a way you could not have expected, and it was just when you needed it. God happens to you when someone goes over and above, when they could have demanded fairness, but instead chose to be better than fair with you. And it helped you out of a predicament. And you say, wow, that can't be anything other than an active God in my life, working through a person who was willing to set aside what was fair, set aside their own interests, and instead, help me out. Because, you know, God doesn't happen to people through grumblers. No one comes to faith because of an encounter with someone who's miserable. It comes through joy. It comes from people who are willing to rejoice with you just because you're rejoicing. But that's enough. So be the person who's willing to rejoice, be the person through whom God can happen to others because you were willing to set aside your self-interest, you were willing to set aside what you deserved, you were willing to set aside what was fair in favor of what was gracious. Because in so doing, you bring them into the fold. You bring them into the community, not just of the church, but into the community of your life. And your life. Your community is incomplete without them. Amen.